the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. First, before we talk football, a tip of the CU at the Game hat to the Colorado women's basketball team. The 20th ranked Buffs opened their season with a 92-78 win in Las Vegas over the number one ranked and defending national champion LSU Tigers. The win represents the second time the CU women's team has knocked off a number one team with the other coming in 2021 against Stanford. And the victory certainly bodes well for the remainder of the 2023-24 campaign. I am joined for this episode by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will review CU's 26-19 loss to number 16, Oregon State. As is our custom for the post-mortem on a game, we will give our grades for what about the CU effort was excellent, what was satisfactory, and what still needs improvement. We will then move on to our tips for the upcoming matchup against number 23, Arizona. Our preview will look at the game from the perspectives of talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics before giving you our predictions for the game, which will be played before a sellout crowd at Folsom Field on Senior Day. So, can the Colorado coaching staff finally find a way to protect its most precious resource, being quarterback Shadur Sanders? Or will the most sacked quarterback in the FBS continue to be harassed by opposing defenses? Is it possible that Arizona, which has played five straight games against ranked opponents, winning the last three, will be looking past the Buffs? Can the Buffs find enough defensive and special teams magic to assist CU's struggling offense, enough to cobble together enough points to send the Buff Nation home happy with a victory in the final home game of the 2023 season? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back, joined by Brad Geiger in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How's Brad doing? Oh, Brad's got a few things in the hopper, but still managed to spend some time watching the Buffs this weekend. All right, and downtown Neil Langland. How's Neil doing? Doing great. Loving that we've got a merger of summer and winter today and over the weekend. There is actually football in short sleeves in Boulder and skiing in shorts about 60 miles to the west. So I don't know what else you can ask for. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just not have that image of skiing in shorts. So we'll just let that one that, that one go. But uh, before we get started, uh, tip of the C with the game hat to the 20th ranked CU women's basketball team. Knock off number one national champion, defending national champion LSU in Las Vegas, 92 to 78. Second win ever uh, over a number one team for the women. They beat Stanford in 2021. And the men's team beat Towson State. And that's from Maryland, in case you're wondering, the Towson Tigers. 
do you think the odds would have been in Vegas if you would have bet that the CU women would have had a bigger halftime lead over LSU than the CU men's team would have had over Towson? But both teams won. Both teams won by double digits. So it's a good start to the basketball season at the University of Colorado, which, as Brad was saying, could be now considered a basketball school, at least for <laughs> the next week. Um, but we're here to talk a little bit about football. Um, we're going to review the loss to Oregon State, 26 to 19, and then preview the Arizona game against the newly ranked, 23rd ranked Arizona Wildcats, who are ranked for the first time since 2017. So, as fate would have it, Buffs get to face another ranked team. So, Neil, other than uh, getting home late at night, what were your overview? Uh, impressions of CU's loss to Oregon State on Saturday night, another Pac-12 after dark? Well, I stayed through the whole thing. I was quite disheartened with the first half, uh, especially the way it ended. Um, I didn't see that the OC change seemed to be worth all the trouble that it may foretell or uh, may have occurred. I uh, I don't know what happened to CU's offense in the fourth quarter, but it seemed like maybe they stopped throwing swing passes and started throwing the ball downhill. Third quarter, they started throwing some slants and had some success. The offense is a complete mystery to me. Our special teams, our punter has a big leg, but he tends to outkick his coverage sometimes, and I think that was instrumental in what happened at the end of the half. Our coverage teams did not do real well uh, on punts. I think the, uh, the defense, however, loved the way they played the entire game. They wore down a little bit, but they were fierce, and they made a lot of big plays. They have improved tremendously. And it's encouraging to watch those guys play just with the fire and emotion that they have. It's great. That was the best part of the game. Okay. Brad, some overall impressions before we do our excellent, satisfactory, and needs improvement? Well, I mean, I agree with Neil on most of it. The offensive line remains a work that is showing no progress or very little. It is – there were some coaching decisions that were highly questionable. Every week looks a little bit more like this was a team that was thrown together um, and is still trying to find how to play together. And that includes coaching staff. And much of what we feared at the beginning of the season is coming true as the season goes on. That said, there remains a lot of talent, a lot of people who want, a lot of players who play through the whistle, um, a lot of people who are playing hard. You know, so there's much to be, excited about um but it feels like it's cited farther down the road than we thought perhaps earlier in the season okay well neil we we tend to talk about reviews in terms of what was excellent satisfactory and needs improvement uh rather than go back and forth on these you got a good start with the defense why don't you just run through what you found to be excellent satisfactory and needs improvement for your buffs out of the oregon state game I thought the revival of the offense in the second half was interesting, but not otherwise noteworthy. The thing about the offense is Shadour Sanders. I guess we can talk about that more later. If we're going to single out one thing or one player, I'm going to do two, which is he, Shadour, and Travis Hunter for the tremendous plays that they made. Uh, overall, the offense is still needs improvement. Sorry to say, I didn't really see anything that would merit a higher grade. The defense, uh, we had sacks, we had tackles for loss. Uh, we gave up some yardage because Martinez is a load to tackle. We'd hit him before he got to the sticks and he was just able to power through. So you tip your hat to that. But overall, we played well. The defense really kept us in the game, and again, played well enough to win. So they get an E-minus for playing as well as they did. 
So the satisfactory stuff, um, I'm going to say the special teams needs improvement overall is the offense. By position groups or individuals, but that's just beating a dead horse. <laughs> okay, Brad, you uh, have anything you want to group into those categories of what was excellent, satisfactory, and what still needs improvement? Well, I think we need to continuously call out the talent on the wide receivers. That when Shadur has time, receivers are capable of getting open in some amazing ways uh, and making some yards after the catch. Um, so I will still rank them as excellent. Um, and I thought the defensive line played probably its best game. You know, not perfect by a long shot, gave up perhaps too many running yards, but certainly held their own more than they have up to this point. There is, uh, I agree, they are satisfactory, bordering on excellent. But the offensive play calling, especially in the first half, the blocking, particularly for running, remain completely at a loss. And I just don't see us fixing that anytime soon. There is a lack of talent up front, and it shows more and more as defenses figure us out. Okay. Well, I don't want to be too much of an echo, but I think we have some of the same gradings on my excellent. I just put Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders. I hope Buff fans just realize what an amazing talent Travis Hunter really is. At the beginning of the season, we were thinking, okay, he's going to be our lockdown corner. And maybe they'll bring him in for some jet sweeps or, you know, some long passes or something like that. Had a handful of offensive plays, but he's playing over 100 plays a game, which is just remarkable in and of itself. And we're just coming to accept that as that's just Travis. That's what Travis does every game. And you think about his interceptions, the one he had against TCU and the two against UCLA. I mean, these weren't on tipped balls. These weren't on a quarterback being rushed and throwing into triple coverage. I mean, they were all instinct plays. They were not plays that 98% of the cornerbacks in the country could make. And we're just lucky to have him playing defense, getting that. And he's got 458 yards receiving, 40 catches, and three touchdowns on the offensive side. So remarkable player. And I hope uh, Buff fans are just appreciating. We've got him for another year, but enjoy him while we can. Uh, the satisfactory department, I put the defensive effort. Uh, as you guys were both talking about, six turnovers in the last two games, both games under 30 points. For a Colorado team, if you hold somebody under 30 points, do you think that puts you in a position to win games? And the defense has played well enough to actually win both of those games. So, um, yes, there's number of yards and, yes, number of points, but Considering what we've been de dealing with for the last number of years, it's certainly much better than what we're what we're used to, and definitely an improvement over some of the defensive efforts in the last month. And needs improvement again. Beating the dead horse, you know, the rushing attack is just non-existent. Uh, the play calling. I don't know if you want to tell the story, Brad, but it reminded me of the 1984 UCLA game, where uh, one game that uh right at the end of the first half it was the the ball was the other way around it wasn't that CU was unable to run out the clock is that UCLA we were only down seven to three I believe the score was against a ranked UCLA team of course this is 1984 this is a team that ended up going one in ten so we weren't supposed to be anywhere near UCLA so on oddly enough ironically enough I think the score is the same seven to three UCLA was the team that was pinned back inside its 10-yard line, and they just wanted to run out the clock before halftime, and mm -hmm. they ran up the middle, called timeout, ran up the middle, called timeout. Then they threw a pass on third down, and our intelligent safety ran up and called timeout, which the officials dutifully gave him, even though the clock was already stopped. So they did force a punt. a punt. We ended up down inside the 10-yard line, had to settle for a field goal because we ran out of time because we didn't have the extra time out. So <laughs> sometimes having a good memory is not a benefit, but it did harken back to thoughts of the UCLA game in 1984. So 
some poor play calling at the end of the first half definitely changed the momentum of the game. Perhaps not irreversibly, but certainly gave you a bad taste heading into the into the second half. So well, and wasted a good defensive effort up to that point. Yeah. To just give away points mm-hmm. after giving up seven points in the first 29 minutes of the first half. So moving on, let's go put that behind us. Another loss, another ranked team, another defeat. Beat the spread again. That's twice two weeks in a row. If you're betting on Colorado to beat the spread, congratulations. <laughs> Last two weeks, the Buffs have scored garbage time touchdowns to beat the spread. So yay for them. Backdoor cover is still a cover. <laughs> so for those of you that are betting on Colorado, good for you. You uh, you cleaned up the last two weeks on the backdoor cover. Um, but we're going to move on to number 23, Arizona, which has played three ranked teams in its last three weeks and beaten all three. Played five straight games against ranked teams and is now the number 23 team in the country and becoming one of the feel-good stories for the season. Unfortunately, now they're coming to, to Boulder for senior day. So again, we go through our uh, tips for the game, which is broken down into talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics before we give you our predictions for the game. So Mr. Geiger, would you like to lead off and talk about what you found out about the talent for the Wildcats from Tucson? Well, I mean, this team, they're not astonishingly talented, but they are playing probably over their talent level. They are uh, playing very well together. They feel better coached than they have been in the past. Again, they just, their defense probably is playing, is probably better than us right now. They have settled on a quarterback and he's doing well for them. They're doing they're not, they're doing a little bit more than they need to win every week and are um, probably again at skill positions, not as talented as CU, but at the, at the line positions where they've really made their living, they are a more talented group and they are playing in a more cohesive way than CU is at this point. Okay. Well, Neil, you got a team that, uh, under Jed Fish went one and eleven their first season, five and seven second season, now six and three. Uh what stood out to you when you were taking a look at the Arizona Wildcats? Well, you raise a good point. Um, they obviously have a talented head coach, and their coaching staff probably down the line reflects the same. Our staff this year took the approach of building from the outside in, and we have excellent, perhaps even superior skill position players all the way around. We're very fortunate in that regard. However, the downside of that approach is what we've been encountering the past few weeks. Arizona, on the other hand, has taken the opposite approach. Their skill people are good, but not world beaters. And they've done it with, if I may borrow a metaphor from the Princess Bride, they have lines of unusual size. Defensive <laughs> um, line, they're about 330, 325 average. Their O line, let me just list this, but I won't belabor the point. Uh, going from right to left, 330, 325, 305, 325. Oops, I'm sorry, I forgot the left guard who is a tiny 360. That's a big, big advantage facing our D line which averages about 290. I mean, that's significant. And they run a variety of, of schemes and they're not flashy, but they just get it done. Um, it's gonna be a tough matchup for us to face those lines. They're, when we get down to the stats portion, we can see that their, their defensive line has done pretty well. Again, up front this week, we're overmatched. And it's going to be interesting to see how our coordinators try to um, overcome that disadvantage. Yeah, it's uh, again, it's kind of like Oregon State in the sense that they are 
not exceptional in any one thing, but they're very good in a lot of things. Buff fans might remember Jaden Delora. He was the quarterback at Washington State that transferred. He was a starter last year. He was a starter to open the season this year. He suffered an ankle injury against Stanford and hasn't been seen since. Uh, freshman quarterback Noah Fafita has stepped in. He's only managed to complete 76% of his passes, 14 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Last weekend in their mauling of UCLA, and folks will remember what UCLA did to Colorado, Mm-hmm. Arizona won 27 to 10. Fafita was 25 of 32 for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, that's against a pretty good UCLA defense, a defense that Colorado couldn't figure out. A couple of good wide receivers, McMillan and Cowing. Pretty comparable numbers-wise to Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn. Both sets, both pairs are about 110, 120 receptions between them, about 12, 1,300 yards. Their pair has 16 touchdowns. Ours has nine. They're ranking 22nd in the nation in passing. The difference between Colorado and Arizona is the rushing game. Um, They actually do run the ball. Uh, Jonah Coleman has 565 yards, and DJ Williams has another 314. And in case you're wondering, no CU back has even 300 yards. They're averaging over 150 yards rushing a game, which is not – gangbusters, but it's a whole lot better than 69 yards a game, which is what Colorado is doing. Problem that CU is going to have, and it's been the same for the last couple of games, we're running up a pretty up, up against a pretty good defense. They've been giving up less than 20 points a game. The last three opponents all ranked 40 total points in three games, and they won all three games. The Bruins only had 271 yards of total offense, and less than 25 minutes of time of possession. So Arizona just held on to the ball and just sat on UCLA and walked away with the 27 to 10 win. So uh, they're coming in with the world's a whole lot of momentum, having three straight wins over ranked teams, first ranking nationally since 2017, bowl eligible for the first time since 2017. So, Neil, I'll come back to you for the eye intangibles. Anything intangible about this game that stood out to you one way or the other for these two teams? Uh, No. The intangible in this regard that's relevant to this game is I hope that UCLA had the AFA syndrome and was just having a bad game, having a bad day. Maybe a lot of the guys had broken up with their significant others. Who knows? But it just seems to me that Arizona has momentum. They have confidence, and that's really going to propel them, I think, in many ways. We also have a, uh, an X that's going to show up. MLC is starting at Z receiver for them. We miss him, although we probably have overall better talent. But, you know, they may, may tend to highlight him a little bit give him a chance to, to shine. Our intangibles are that we continue to be a Jekyll and Hyde team. And it, we don't know which team is going to kick in when or how or which side of the ball is going to fold and the other will play wonderfully. It's just there's so much, such a wide variance in the way our team performs and the, their capabilities. I have all the sense that it's not going to take much to crack our emotional state in this game. And if it gets out of hand early, it could be another Oregon. Okay. Brad, any intangibles that you want to point out heading into Saturday's game noon on the PAC 12 networks? Well, and as you both noted, this is uh Arizona's got all the confidence. They've got all the momentum. They tr- This team plays like they believe. They are probably the most approved team in the conference this year. And, you know, this is a tough conference. And what's interesting, it's a, it's a conference that has, you know, three really high-flying offenses and then three other teams that just do the job. They just work on you. 
And Oregon's that, or Arizona's that team. They're not probably going to score 60, but they're, they've got a floor of about 27, and they're just going to make you get to them. And so far, that's worked really well for them. Um, and they've gotten better as the season has gone on. So it's hard to play a team with momentum. Um, they're not afraid to go on the road. So that's what it feels like is they're just – they have a lot of confidence, and uh, we're going to have to find a way to break that early. This is not a team we can get behind on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Abandon the run and go to the pass. And you know, we'd have to do that. Well, the, we do that from the first series. So at least it wouldn't be unfamiliar territory. I just had a couple of things under intangibles and it's just kind of big perspective kind of stuff that at some point you has to play a complete game mm. that coach prime has been talking about that pretty much since week one, how, there's been good offensive games like the TCU game where we just scored whenever we needed to score good defensive efforts like the Nebraska game with all the turnovers and pretty much held Nebraska to seven points until the final play of the game. And even special teams have had their moments, you know, the Arizona state game in the last couple of minutes with the punt return and then the field goal to win the game. So at different times, different units for the team have played well, Unfortunately, they haven't played well at the same game. And this is the home finale. So, you know, they got to play at home last week. They didn't have to travel. The game's on the Pac-12 network, so there's no national media to worry about. The second game of the season, the other game that they played on the Pac-12 networks was the Arizona State game, and that worked out okay. So not a lot of national attention, a decent kickoff time. Not 10 a.m., not 8 p.m., but noon. So. Maybe this is the game where everybody looks up and the whole team is playing together as one unit. Um, the only other thing I wanted to point out just for Buff fans in terms of intangibles when uh, the team starts struggling on offense and the crowd wants to boo some more is just the overall perspective. There was a good uh, tweet put out by uh, Brian Howell of the Daily Camera. He said, we've got to remember this is year one with his staff and turnarounds are rarely quick. In FBS history, only 13 teams have had a winning record after losing 11 games the year before. Only five of those were led by a first-year head coach. It's even harder in the Power Five. Only three times has a Power Five team lost 11 games and had a winning record the next year. And in each of those three cases, it was the head coach that lost the 11 games that came back and one in year two had a winning season. So no FBS coach has ever come in, taken over a one in 11 team at power five school and turned around and have a winning record the following year. So mm -hmm. that's hard to swallow when we had a team that was three and oh and ranked. But again, Brad, you were talking about, we're seeing some of the holes that, you know, turn out when you have a team that's being, you know, put together with patchwork and, as injuries pile up and film is out there for teams to review, other teams know how to play you, and CU just hasn't had the answers for that. So, Brad, we'll talk a little bit about preparation and schedule, the P of tips. Anything in terms of preparation that you'd like to comment on with regards to CU versus Arizona? You know, we probably – you mentioned that the teams are getting tape on us. You know, we had hoped that we would sneak up on some teams, and we did. And now we're not. This Arizona team looks really well coached. You know, they've got to go on the road. But we don't get to sneak up on anybody, even when we're not good. So I don't see a really big preparation advantage for either one of us here. You know, we know who Arizona is. They, I think, by now know who we are. I would hope that after the chaos and figuring out who's calling plays, that the offense will be a little bit more structured than it was last week. But uh, this, this, again, just feels like two teams who kind of know what's what they're going to look at. Okay. Anything under preparation or schedule that stood out to you, Neil? Well, a couple, actually. Uh, whatever CU is doing to get turnovers, whatever drills they're doing and focus they're placing on it, it has saved us many times, uh, especially in the first half. 
last Saturday night. Keep doing that. Um, <laughs> Just don't get targeting penalties while you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Do more of that. You know, because we have some guys that are coming up and putting their helmet right on the ball. I'm liking that a lot. What I would really like to see preparation this week is whoever's calling the plays. Can we please, please, again, I'm pleading, diversify the offense a little bit so Shador isn't just a sitting duck that as he catches the snap, he's being hit. you got to fix that. Uh, just a little story. Um, I sit just below you guys over there in section 120. You're above me. And fourth quarter, saw Shadour walking back and forth after they had scored with a Gatorade in his hand, just walking. And he was on about half a leg. And he looked like he was not having fun, not having a good time. And he was just gutting it out. We've got to do something to reward him for his effort and his dedication to team and his taking responsibility. And I think they need to reward him with giving him some help, giving the offensive line some help somehow with either scheme or personnel changes, adding a blocking back, adding a tight end to block something. Because, I don't know, I, I everyone's getting tired of listening to me rant about that, but doesn't matter how great our receivers are. We could have five Hall of Famers out there. And if Shadur is on his back, so what? Fix that, please. Whatever you have to do, fix that. I guess I didn't have much to say on that. Sorry. No. <laughs> well, everyone can see it, and certainly the coaches can see it. They know it. But um, for whatever reason, it hasn't, hasn't changed. Uh, just a couple things I put under preparation and schedule. It's kind of hard to believe, but this is actually senior day for Colorado. And, of course, senior day has lost pretty much all meaning in the post-COVID era with fifth-year, sixth-year, seventh-year players, graduate transfers. And, again, you know, with the team that's almost all transfers, there's not a lot of history playing in Folsom Field. There's not a lot of history of, you know, being a buff. But there are going to be seniors that are going to be playing their last home game. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of players going to be transferring out. We just don't know who's going to transfer out. We might not. We might have a few players that declare, um, not Shadur, but there are going to be some other players that might declare early to go for the NFL draft. I just want I just looked at some of the players that we know are using up their eligibility. They would certainly want to go out on a high note. Uh, that includes wide receiver Xavier Weaver and Javon Antonio, offensive lineman Landon Beebe, defensive lineman Leonard Payne, edge rusher Jordan Dominic, uh, linebacker Brendan Gant, and Cavosier Smoke is also a graduate. I don't know if he's going to get a chance to play, but, you know, if I'm a senior and this is my last home game, uh, you think you want to put it all out there and, and go out with a win. I don't know how much of an effect that's going to have on this team again, since these are not four or five year buffs, but mm -hmm. they're four or five game buffs. So <laughs> hopefully they're going to care about the team on the other side of the coin. I look back and Look to see the last time Colorado finished with two games on the road. And that was 2015. And unfortunately, being a history major worked against me again. 2015, the Buffs went four and nine. They started out, wait for it, three and one, then lost eight of their last nine games. The three and one start including, included a win over Colorado State in overtime, no less. Then they opened against Oregon to start Pac-12 play with a loss and kind of went downhill from there. And in 2015, the last two games of the season, both on the road, were wait for it against. They were at Washington State and at Utah. So that team finished 4-9 and because we played Hawaii. We got a 13th game that season, but a lot of mirrors going on there. Um, mm -hmm. So anything... Um, else you guys have on preparation, you want to move on to 
stats. Neil, you'd be up first on stats. You love stats. I do. And thank you. I'm kind of looking at some of the matchups on the stats here. And Stuart, you previewed some of them. What Arizona shows in their stats, and Brad mentioned this a couple of times as well, they're not standouts in any particular area, but they're balanced. They're an optimized team. Um, they have role players. They do the things that need to be done to win. They have a couple of guys um, on defense. Upshaw has seven and a half sacks. Um, another guy has 80 tackles. And he's a linebacker, whereas I think our leading sack guy has five. And our leading tackle is 60 and plays played safety now plays linebacker Trevor Woods. So I guess the number is significant, but it's also who on their defense makes tackles. If your DBs are making all the stops, that can be problematic. So it seems that what that tells me is that Arizona's defense is well constructed. And again, there's no outstanding stat that you can put there, but uh, their stats overall show balance between offense and defense run game, pass game, run defense, pass defense. They're, they're right in kind of the, the sweet spot with all of those things. Okay. Brad, any, any numbers that stood out to you? Any stats you'd like to talk about? Well, I mean, the stat that CU has to look at most of all is that Arizona has trouble taking care of the football and hasn't done a great job at taking away the football. So, you know, we're hopeful that some turnovers can kind of even this out. But yeah, again, I have to agree with Neil. This is just, this is, you know, Arizona's not best at anything, but they're in top 50 in everything uh, with the exception of pass defense. So I think there is a chance for CU to get some passing down the field if they can keep Shador upright. I think there is space for our receivers to make some plays, but it is, it is very concerning. I think it'll be a very big challenge yet again to run the ball. And I think that this is their offense is they're averaging 439 game, yards per, per game. And we are the worst defensive team in the country. That, I think, bodes ill for us being able to slow down that entire attack, including the rushing attack. Yeah. What does it tell you when the she has the worst defense in the country and the defense is being praised for its efforts yes. <laughs> the last couple of weeks. Sounds a lot like the 2022 season. Just a few stats I wanted to talk about. And again, they just jump off the page. I mean, she was trying to, after the bye week, determined to run the ball that went to UCLA, had 25 yards and 24 carries. So we changed uh, play call and responsibilities to analyst Pat Shermer, and the net result was minus seven yards rushing against Oregon State. Against UCLA, there were 67 offensive plays, only 11 handoffs. Against Oregon State, 58 rushing plays, or 58 offensive plays, 11 handoffs. So, yeah, the rushing game is not successful, but it's not like we're even trying to have a rushing attack. I'm going to do a little bit of praise of Shador, and then I'm going to come back to the idea of whether or not this is premeditated on Prime's part, because there's a lot of speculation on that. Just tip of the hat to see Shador Sanders, that he's going to have a record-breaking season. He is already fourth in CU history in nine games for single-season passing yards, second in touchdowns, second in completions. He needs 56 completions, 319 yards, and five touchdowns to break all the single-season records in 100 and some years. Of course, first 60 of those never threw the ball. But even with all the passers that CU's had, even though all the passing attacks CU's had, uh, Shadur Sand is pretty much guaranteed, if he stays upright the next three games, to hold almost all of the single-season records for being a quarterback at the University of Colorado. Now, there are some that are suggesting – and I want to get your opinion on this. Coach Prime is more interested in padding his son's stats than he is in having a rushing attack. And that's why CU doesn't run the ball. It's all about 
how Shadur can increase his stats so he can have all these single season records. He can lead the net. He's third in the nation in passing yards, first in passing attempts, first in completions, fifth in touchdowns. I, I don't even want to dignify it, really, but I, I want to get you guys' opinions on, do you think that there is some Cody Hawkins, Dan Hawkins syndrome here where it's all about promoting the sun and doing it to the detriment of the team? Okay, how do I... First of all, if you're looking to pad passing stats, you don't pick Pat Shermer to call your plays. <laughs> Bronco fans know this. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> While Pat Shermer conservative is to desperately understate the case. I think this is fundamentally ridiculous. It misunderstands the problems at CU. It misunderstands the... Um, the talent level at CU. I mean, we, the talent level of the receivers and Shadur Sanders says that you pass the ball. If you think that this was ever structured to be a three yards and a cloud of dust offense, you have not only not been paying attention to this team, you haven't been paying attention to college football since about 1983. <laughs> so that's my level of tolerance for that type of discourse okay neil any thoughts yeah, i have a couple some that i can't share really uh, <laughs> in this context but i would like to quote uh one of my professors an economics professor ruben zubra the late ruben zubra <laughs> zubra says zubra says we have the baby blue jaguar so whenever he would confront an argument and someone would present it to him and he disagreed it with it and your classmate and roommate I had uh, in that class was his response was in his New Jersey accent, nonsense. <laughs> That's my entire assessment of it. It deserves no more thought or energy than that. Okay. Well, I, I just want to, and two things. One, you know, if you want to have your your son win the Heisman, if you have your one a son pad stats, you're not going to have him be the most sacked quarterback in the country. And that's what he is. Not good optics. And above all, and Deion Sanders would know this as well, if not better than almost everybody else, you don't win the Heisman Trophy on a losing team. Mm -hmm. I was going to go look that up. I think Roger Staubach, when he was at Navy, I think he won when it was a losing team. I think that was the last time anybody won the Heisman with a losing team. And I don't think you have to look any further than Caleb Williams. Right. I think the stats for Caleb Williams are almost as good, if not better, than his stats for last year in terms of pure numbers. He's having a great season. He's a magician with the ball. He It was a very entertaining game watching them play Washington going touchdown for touchdown. So Caleb Williams is having great numbers, but he has no chance of repeating as the Heisman Trophy winner. And the reason he has no chance to repeat as the Heisman Trophy winner is because USC has three losses. So the whole idea that it's all about the numbers and he's trying to promote just Shadur to the expense of the team runs contrary to the idea. We see it was doing better running the ball when C was 3-0. and And Shadur was being touted as a potential Heisman candidate because they had a balanced offense and he wasn't getting killed. It's harder and harder with some of the comments that you read on the message boards and you try and read less and less of them as things go south because people tend to go off the rails and you want to argue with them, but your inner non-demons tell you not to take that on. But anyway, I just wanted to digress a little bit and talk about the people that think that Shadur Sanders is having his pad, his stats padded just so Daddy can have a Heisman Trophy winner. It's just absurd. But we've gone through our talent intangibles preparation and stats, so it's time to talk about predicting the game. Brad, how do you see it unfolding? Uh, looks like nine and a half to ten points, somewhere in there, depending on which 
uh, betting service you're looking at. So close to a double-digit favorite, but not quite for Arizona. Uh, I think the over-under is like about 55. Where, how do you see uh, the game being at 3.30, 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon? You know, I am one of those people who has made money on CU and their backdoor covers because I have had faith that they could stay close. And I think they've played better teams with some skill and some heart the last couple of weeks. All of that said, it uh, really do feel like this one could get a little bit out of hand. Without some turnovers, it's going to be a challenge. I feel like this one looks a little bit more like 31-17 Arizona. Okay. Neil, what did you have it down? What did you put down for your your guess for this game? Well, Bearing in mind that you and I, all three of us had CU at four and five. When we did our preseason predictions, went through game by game. Well, we got seven of the nine games right. We had CU losing to TCU and all beating Stanford. But otherwise, we've been, we've been all right on all of our predictions for the games. But this is where Brad said, nope, this is another loss. You and I both had this as win number five. So you sticking to it or uh, has recent history convinced you that it's not going to be a, a fun senior day at Folsom Field? Well, there are two ways to make a decision and a prediction. One is with your head, as Brad has done. And if I were to do that, I would agree completely with him. And I do agree with him on the points that CU scores, but I'm going to go with my heart and say that final score is 24-17 Arizona based on what I hope to be, project to be continued good performance by our defense. Um, I have no leg to stand on there, just like Shadur Sanders barely has a leg to stand on when he's throwing the ball. <laughs> yes. You beat the spread anyway. Yeah. So okay. go under and see you covers. Okay. Well, you know, in case anybody wondering, we don't talk about this beforehand. We don't compare notes before we do our predictions or discussions. And we're pretty much all in agreement here. Concerns about the CU offense being able to score. Concerns about the CU defense being able to hold Arizona much lower than their, you know, 28 to 31 point range. And Brad, you're going to love this. I don't know if it's good news or bad news, but I had it down. Arizona 31, Colorado 17. And the exact same score that you did. And Neil, you're at 24-17. So is it a front door cover if the Arizona scores late to make it a 14-point game? Is that uh, the right terminology, Brad? <laughs> I don't. I am uh, I am still a somewhat of a novice about that, but I don't think that's the phrase. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you it, know. It, if uh, C.U. down in the fourth quarter and ends up getting beat by two touchdowns, I don't think anybody would be surprised. Yeah, I'm afraid that's probably what we're looking up. We're looking at, but nature of the beast. I mean, I hate to pick against the Buffs, but until they win a game, it's going to be hard to pick for them. And the way the offense has struggled, I just don't see them getting 30 points. Um, it's just hard to imagine a scenario where that would work. But then again, maybe this is the week that they it all comes together and they'll. There's a good break on defense. They get a pick six instead of recovering a fumble that CU offense only turns into a field goal or fumbles the ball away. They actually turn turnovers into points. Maybe a special teams touchdown, something like that. It's going to take more than just the offense for the Buffs to have enough points to win this game. But we're going to the game. We're going to sit in the sun and cheer for the seniors. I don't know what they're going to do about senior day, night, what they're going to do. Maybe just bring the whole team out. Say we don't know who's going to be here, but <laughs> yeah. some, some of, of these people will be back. Some of them will not. <laughs> yeah, we'll just multiple choice. You know, we're just going to draw straws. Uh, the Buffalo Heart Award presumably will be awarded after the game, and probably Shadur mm -hmm. Sanders deserves that. I don't know if they want to give it to 
a junior. They've probably done it before, but uh, I think Cepho actually won it twice, but I have to go look that up. So until then, uh, we will reconvene and we'll talk about a Friday night game at Washington State and then a Saturday game in Salt Lake City to close out the regular season. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of wins means a bowl game. A couple of losses means another December without thinking about a bowl game. So we'll just have to see how it all plays out as November turns into December. We'll see if the Buffs have a chance to keep playing. So thank you, gentlemen, and we will talk again soon. See you at Folsom, guys. See you at Folsom. Thank you both for listening to this podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you are subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I will be back again next week with Neil and Brad, and we will give you our review of the Arizona game, as well as our preview for CU's tilt against Washington State and Pullman next Friday night. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.